Welcome to Southview Stories, memorable stories from the leaders and best. Shout out to Mason. Mason, what's Your up? Your beard is looking crispy. I do have a very thick beard right now. Uh, but I didn't have that thick beard on the episode that you are going to listen to today. Our episode today is with Abra Behrens. She's the executive chef at Grainer Farms in Three Oaks, Michigan. And she's also the author of Roughage, A Practical Guide to Vegetables, a, a New York Times and New Yorker best-selling cookbook from 2019. Abra has a really, really fun story. Her background is impressive and it was a lot of fun getting to know her. We actually took Southeast Stories on the road. For the first time we recorded outside of Ann Arbor, we visited the uh, Michiana area as it's known, uh, Three Oaks, and Abra was nice enough to invite her into her home where all the pictures for Ruffage were shot, interestingly enough. And we got to talk to her about uh, what she's up to and, what, and her, her story and her journey. Before we get started, as always, got to shout out the sponsors. I'll make it quick this time. First up, Underground Printing. Visit Underground Printing for all your custom printed apparel needs, businesses, groups, events, you name it. UndergroundShirts.com. Destination Ann Arbor, bringing a focus and highlight to the Ann Arbor community and doing great works in the community here, AnnArbor.org. And finally, State and Liberty. Great fitting, great feeling, high-end men's clothing. Not just dress shirts, but also Henleys, long sleeves, polos, and blazers, and, and, and suits. Visit stateandliberty.com, discount code SOUTHU for 10% off. And now, Abra Barons. All right, we're here with Abra Behrens, who's the executive chef at Grainer Farms in Three Oaks, Michigan. We are in, we are truly in Michiana right now. We're yep. like a stone's throw away uh, from the border. I saw on the map driving out here, right? Yeah, your phone might pick up Central Time. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, and and so we're here uh, on location in her house. She was so kind to invite us to her house where. Uh, she has recently written, and we'll talk a little bit more about this, but she wrote earlier, well, I can say last year, last yes. year, 2019, she wrote an amazing uh, best-selling cookbook called Roughage. And we'll talk more about that, but all, everything was shot here. So we are here uh, connected to that. And uh, while all of our other podcasts have been in Ann Arbor and uh, Abra has uh, extensive Ann Arbor ties, we decided to go on location here. So yeah, thank you for, for having us. Thanks for making the trip. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun. We were having a good time. So um, anyway, so I, one thing I wanted to talk about was the fact that uh, serendipity, we had a couple stories like that. And we actually knew each other in college. Mm -hmm. We had some mutual friends. We went to school around the t same time. Yeah. In many other episodes, I've dated myself over and over again. But I won't, uh -huh. I won't state it in this one. We <laughs> went to school some time ago, not too long ago. And, uh, and then both of us stuck around Ann Arbor for, uh -huh. for me for longer than you. But you were there. Worked at Zingerman's mm -hmm. for, for quite some time. Yeah. We had mutual friends through there as well. Uh, and then, you know, we 
hadn't, I don't, we didn't speak or anything. And then randomly, I was in a store in Chicago, stock manufacturing. Mm-hmm. Shout out to the guys at stock. Yeah. And you walked in and it was like, we said, hi, reconnected. It was totally like happenstance that that happened. Yeah. And uh, became Facebook friends like old people do once <laughs> you meet each other. <laughs> Facebook is not exactly cool. But uh, yeah, we, we became Facebook friends. And that's where I learned what you were up to and all the cool things you're doing. And that's why we're having this podcast. So I just thought cool background to the story of why we're here. Well, it's always Ann Arbor was such a like formative a time so it's always so nice to reconnect and I think it wasn't until after leaving U of M and Ann Arbor realizing like what community comes out of that just right. by the virtue of the university and the location of right, it so right. yeah it's really it's a treat to to have you here and to be hearing what, what you're doing and yeah. telling these stories so thanks for including oh, me. That's, of course mm-hmm. so um tell us a little bit about your background where you grew up School, what you what you studied in Ann Arbor, sure. and then how you got into food. So I grew up in Western Michigan, um, about twenty miles south of Holland, Michigan, and uh, I grew up on a uh, effectively a pickle farm. My my grandparents uh, on my dad's side were farmers. Um, my mo- my grandmother was a school teacher. My grandfather was a farmer, and my dad. Uh, was an, both my parents were anesthesiologists. And so oh. uh, we were kind of a mixture of farming and medical family. Oh. And um, my dad went to U of M's medical school and met my mom in Ann Arbor as well. She was working at St. Joseph Hospital. Um, and I, yeah, so it was always kind of like, I knew of Ann Arbor and yeah. those sorts of things. And y- then, y- your family had fond memories of Ann Arbor. Yeah, exactly. I, uh, but they there was never any like legacy pressure to attend school there. But then when um, I applied to different schools, that was the place where I knew I wanted to go. And mm-hmm. um, so I ended up there and studied history and English. I felt very lucky to be able to do both, um, mostly because for uh, I've always loved history, but then uh, for English... Um, I think I found the bulk of my community uh, on a program called NELP, the New mm. England Literature Program. Okay, yeah. uh, it's a it's a spring term course that the that the English department offers, where you move to New England and study transcendentalism uh, oh, wow, while living awesome. a very pared down lifestyle. So, um, like th- like Thoreau style. Exactly. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's lots of uh, Walden studying and things like after that. after the so. podcast we should talk about whether you watch dickinson uh oh i haven't po- uh, we'll, we'll talk about it. Okay. side side sidebar yeah <laughs> <laughs> um we read a lot of dickinson um it's funny because i also love charles dickens and every time i say it i have to like i like have a pause i'm like which one is it dickens uh, son, son the son of yes dickens. the son daughter of dickens <laughs> <Got it. laughs> um and so yeah, so I had started working. I've always worked in restaurants uh, since I was 16. You know, I think every farm kid to a degree is just itching to get their driver's license so they can work off farm uh, for a bit. So um, I have sort of found my way there because I had a family friend who had worked there, you know, maybe 10 years beforehand or something. Oh, wow. And um, so I kind of knew of it. And then um, I happened to like stumble into Zingerman's twice and was sort of, it wasn't the part of Ann Arbor that I ever lived in or anything. Like it's that. still not the usual place. A lot of college kids, I think, they never don't, make it to Zingerman's, except for maybe senior year, graduation, yeah, things like that. I don't like know that. what that is yeah, about that part of town, but um, yeah, anyway, so I just sort of happened, to, I was like on a long walk one day and I stumbled into it and then like a few months later, I was like, oh, I'm going to stay in Ann Arbor during spring and summer term, mm-hmm. so I need to get a job. And right. I... Yeah, I thought, oh, it might be a good place to work. And then I fell in love with it. And yeah. uh, Zingerman's, I think, was, you know, maybe maybe the most important 
uh, like life turn for me mm. um, because it, you know, it taught me so much. Um, it bred a, lo- a love of food, sort of a nascent love of food that I had already had. Yeah. My, my family were big eaters. We always like meals together were really important. Mm. Um, but then also I, I went from, I, it just taught me how I wanted to, what I wanted to do with my life, which was to be a part of small businesses and the the leadership and the servant leadership ideas and community of businesses and all of the ethos that Paul Saginaw and Ari Weinzweig espouse rang so true to me. Um, And so, and then that's also where I started cooking. So Roger Bowser, who uh, was my chef there and is now a managing partner, uh, really kind of took me from the front of house into the back of house and and created a space where I could learn. And then um, from there, he sent me, um, connected me to Ballymaloo, which is the cooking school where I attended in the South of Ireland, um, which was also maybe the next most important thing because it really changed my ideas about what it would mean to be a chef or, you know, the connection of farming and, um, and, and food and how to bring those two things together. And I never would have found my way there. At least I don't think, you know, you never know for sure, but, uh, Zingerman's made that possible. And and how long were you in Ireland studying? Uh, it's only a 12 week program. So I was in, um, the Ireland and the UK for three months total, or I'm sorry, six months total, uh, but in school for three. Uh, and, uh, Jarena has continued to be a very like um, sort of magical force in my life. And so I feel like starting at Zingerman's, there were so many times where people, um, you know, it's like not fairy godmothers, but that sort of idea, people just like helping put you on a course that right. was going to, you know, take what they saw in you and sort of expand upon it. Right. Um, and I just feel so grateful that, yeah, Zingerman's made that place for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's the, uh, I think it's one of the things that, you know, it, it, when I was younger in business, it was like when people, when employees left on, moved to other things, it was always like, oh, I wish we would be able to keep everybody. But what Zingerman's taught me a lot about was like alumni, you know, that's it. We right. say about, we talk about alumni, but having a broad network of alumni yeah. is, is, is awesome because it, it, it provides uh, growth options, but it also provides just like breadth of, uh, of experiences and, and people to, to, you know, talk to and, and, you know, jump onto. Yeah. It's, I mean, it truly is a community and it's also a community that's founded on some sort of commonality, you know, and if that's, you know, I think, uh, U of M does that really well. The alumni associations do that really well, but yeah, you have some sort of shared foundation that makes the language that you're speaking to each other make more sense or it's like contextualized in a way. Um, yeah. And, and when did you leave Ann Arbor? Uh, I left Ann Arbor in the fall of 2006, okay. and that's when I went to school in Ireland. I was um, in Europe for six months, and then I moved to Chicago. My now husband is from Chicago, so we were in Ann Arbor at the same time, and then he moved home, and I moved to Ireland, and then I moved back to be with him. So then I was cooking in Chicago for a bit at different farm-to-table restaurants and bakeries, and then another uh, former Zingerman's person and I reconnected about the idea of starting a farm together. Um, so Jess Peace Corps and I started Bare Knuckle Farm up in Sutton's or in Northport. His family is from Sutton's Bay and they had some family land. So we started farming vegetables there uh, with the goal of having um, on farm dining. At least that's where I came into it. Mm-hmm. That like uh, what I was seeing was that there were f- fewer and fewer people were really connected to the land and mm-hmm. where their food came from. And so I, uh, 
thinking like how best, how better to do that than to, you know, have a meal take place right where the food is grown. And um, it was kind of a, you know, sort of like, I wonder sometimes about all these like little throwaway ideas that you have, but then if you expand on them, what they become, and that's what I feel like this sort of idea of experiential dining has been for me. It was like this idea that like, oh, I don't think people are realizing where their food is coming from. Let's show them by having like a nice night out and then what that has sort of led to. So um, we farmed together for several years and then uh, I was still commuting between Chicago and Northport, which is like a five and a half hour drive. So that is not a great way to (laughs) set up. (laughs) What did did that week look like for you? Well, thankfully it was sort of every six months. So I would move up in the spring and then come back to Chicago period periodically throughout the summer, but then I would move back in the fall and then cook all winter. But even with that, it was hard to, you know, you can't move up in a restaurant if you leave every six months. And so uh, it felt like a not totally sustainable way for me to continue to grow my career. So I ended up moving back to Chicago and um, helping open a restaurant called Local Foods, which was, I thought would be very similar to Cooking on the Farm because they're a food distribution business. So Mm -hmm. they were getting all of this amazing product from Midwestern growers. And then we were pulling from that to run the cafe. Uh, But I really missed that connection Mm -hmm. to the land itself Mm -hmm. and from, from one grower. So I started thinking about wanting to, be back in Michigan and, um, yeah, just kind of going back and forth on, on how to do that, how to make it happen. And then we have some friends, uh, who have a flower farm in this area in, uh, in three Oaks. And so Eric, my husband and I came, uh, one labor day, just, I had the day off from work. And so I thought, Oh, let's just go and help out on their farm. And, uh, so we did that. And then as we were driving around, I was like, maybe we could live here. It's yeah. only 60 miles from Chicago. Uh, but we're in Michigan. It's very rural. There seems to be a lot of like great growers and all those things around. So there's a, like a, such an activity around, you know, breweries, distilleries. I mean, like yeah. there's a definitely uh, uh, the intersection of business and and the land is, is, is here for sure. Yeah, it's a very vibrant part of the state, I think. Yeah. Um, and So, yeah, so I was kind of thinking about this area and then I was doing an artist residency up in northern Michigan and um, so I left my job for about a month to travel up there and just like do some work and uh, my friend who happens to also know the owners of Grainer Farm had heard that Grainer wanted to do a chef residency program. So they were talking about like, oh, we'll just have different chefs come out and do a couple weeks of of events and then, you know, nobody permanent sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So I got this pitch deck and was like, oh, this sounds great. I would love to do this. And then the more I thought about it, the more I was like, this seems like so much work for someone to have to like orchestrate and like yeah. all the variabilities that different chefs bring and how to market that. And I realized, like, maybe they just want to hire a chef. And I happen to want to move to this exact town. (laughs) Uh, So I just, you know, said I would love to do this. I also happen to have this background in on-farm experiential dining. Um, Maybe we can talk. And then we ended up talking and realizing that we just wanted to work together. So That's great. Yeah, so I started at Grainer in the spring of 2017 and have been back in Michigan since. And, you know, talk a little bit about developing a program like this. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, it's a second, second or third time you've, you've done it, 
but uh, this time, you know, maybe it wasn't wasn't your startup mm-hmm. or how, you're coming into the community. And the farm had existed for some time now already? Yeah, the farm started, Grainer Farm started in 2009. Uh, and so they have been a part of the community for a long time. So I certainly benefited from the relationships that were built by mm-hmm. uh, Rob and Liz, the owners, and Katie Burdett, who's the farm manager, and their relationships to the community. And so I think what the nicest thing about... Uh, yeah, it was like second or third time starting kind of a program where it was like, we're really going to truly be telling the story of a farmer through a, you know, dinner or whatever, was that I could take the lessons learned uh, and and apply them. So um, I just knew what had worked for us in Northern Michigan and I knew the things that didn't work. And so I wanted to like try to fix some of those things. So what we do is... uh, we host dinners pretty regularly every like three weekends out of the month um, from May until February. And we create seven course menus that are based, they start out with the looking at the ingredients that are available on the farm. Oh, And so it's a lot of chefs, I think, kind of think up flavor combinations or dishes and then find the ingredients to make that thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I go about it the other way. So it's looking at the ingredients that we have and then, you know, creating a structure of a, of a seven course menu around that. So um, we don't release the menus in advance because oftentimes the menus change the day of the meal because, right. you know, something will come in and it's mm-hmm. just perfect and we have to include it or something that we thought we would have that was going to be harvested, like doesn't look as great. So we don't want to include it. Um, and then also everyone eats the same thing. So we wanted to create a sense of community around Mm -hmm. food because the farm is, um, it was based, it started to be a farm camp for kids. And so, uh, we have, we do three weeks of farm camp, which is ages five to 10, um, come in and they do participate in all parts of, Mm -hmm. of the farm. And then also the farm is a hundred member CSA, which is community supported agriculture. So it was those two things that, uh, were unique to Grainer that I wanted to, uh, sorry, my dog just walked in the room. (laughs) And Mason is not paying attention to us and taking a picture (laughs) of the dog, which is quality producing Mason. Thank you. Um, and so, yeah, so I, those were the kind of two things that education community, how to connect people to what we're doing that made me really, um, kind of shape the program slightly differently and so we have three tables and we mix different groups so if you you know you'll sit with the people that you like if you bought you know four tickets you'll sit with your four people but you'll be at (laughs) she just wants to be a part of the whole thing Um, (laughs) and so you'll sit with those people but you'll also be at a table with other people and so there's a lot of uh kind of sharing and passing of platters and things like that and so uh hey zuma come here She's like, I already know you. I don't, I don't need to. There you go. Yeah, just chill out. There you go. Um, so, yeah, so that's what we do. So it's one seating every night. Uh, everyone eats the same thing. So we really tailor it to people's dietary restrictions. If we have a couple people who are gluten-free, we'll just make a whole gluten-free menu. And um, that way people don't feel excluded in that way. And they really get to see kind of where the food was grown. That is a part of their meal. And um, the reason it feels really important to connect people to how the food is grown, you know, I my program couldn't exist without uh, – the farm, Mm -hmm. you know, and without the farmers who are doing that work. And so wanting people to see like, this is one way to farm. I grew up on a very different farm that Mm -hmm. was much larger industrial. (laughs) She's very nosy. Yeah, she is. Um, 
Uh, so I grew up on an industrial farm, which was hundreds of acres and big equipment. And we grew, you know, one thing or two things or whatever. And there, there was no traceability from the pickles that we grew to the jar of Heinz relish. You oh, know? right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's fine. I think that there are farms. We need farms of that size. We need, um, all types of different farms. We need really small farms and urban centers and grainer is, uh, another way to look at it. It's a okay. biodiverse farm. Um, we do a lot of soil management because we have very clay soil so how to make that ever more fertile and things like that and so just wanting to give people kind of a window into what we do feels really important that's awesome and so you uh how, how did a or was a cookbook always in the picture and how did that even come about oh yeah um it's funny that's i feel like another thing about zingerman's is that they focus a lot on visioning yeah and i uh, you know kind of helping course course set, I guess. Uh, and so, I don't know, 10 years ago or so, I was kind of thinking about like, what would I want uh, my long-term career to look like? And I really love cooking and I really love farming, but they're also both very physically taxing mm-hmm. jobs. And so there's some uh, window in which you start to not be able to right. do a farmer's market at 6 a.m. <laughs> and then uh, cook a dinner that night that goes till midnight and then get up the next day and do that whole all over again. Yeah. Um, and so, and I thought, you know, I, I always loved writing and that's why I was an English major and right. I love uh, telling stories of, of food and growers and ingredients. And so um, I started writing a food column for the paper in Northern Michigan, the Record Eagle. And um, Alison Batdorf and Nate Payne really made space for me on their pages yeah. uh, to give me a place to, to be writing. And then I thought maybe someday we would take all those columns and, you know, kind of zip them between two covers and, and be done with it. And, uh, or that would be a nice thing. And so I hadn't really thought of a cookbook in quite the way that roughage came about, but what ended up happening was that I, my really good friend, Tim Mazurik had put me in touch with, um, his friend, Kari Stewart, who's a literary agent, and she had been reading some of my columns and, uh, just reached out and said, have you ever thought about a cookbook? And the columns, um, sort of evolved they started out just i well i knew i wanted to write them zuma please leave him alone um let me go back a little bit um when I started writing the column, it came out on uh, the same day that our most poorly attended market uh, happened. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, maybe I can use this as a way to like drum up business. Yeah, so, right. um, so I wrote, uh, I would write the column about a particular ingredient and just, you know, either two different ways to prepare it or, you know, same preparation method, but different uh, flavor combinations. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of the like structure of the column. And so as I started putting together and the ideas for the book that was sort of that followed that path so it's 29 vegetables uh, that we grow in the northern midwest uh, different an essay an opening essay that's very similar to how the column was and then uh, different preparation techniques and then different flavor combinations so I, I always kind of describe it to people as like an NCAA bracket but in reverse <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> so, so yeah, you start yeah. with the winner which yeah. is the vegetable and then there's different preparation techniques so if it's um, asparagus like you know raw roasted and grilled right. and then for each preparation technique there's a recipe and then there's three different um, uh, like in- ingredient combinations or flavor combinations. And the idea is that we grow the same things year after year, but they don't have to, that redundancy doesn't have to be boring. Mm-hmm. It can be sort of a, a structure off from which to 
create something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. great. Mm-hmm. And uh, in focusing on vegetables, which I know Ruffage completely uh, focuses on vegetables. Yeah. Um, is there any thought to, is it, was there any design behind that in terms of like, you know, a movement to kind of, you know, cut meat or cut meat consumption down? Is that part of it or not? Or it's just, I, I'm really, I really wanted to focus on vegetables and no, no ulterior motive there. I, I mean, I think it's, they're sort of intertwined in the sense that, uh, when I first started farming, I kind of came of age as a cook in the time when Fergus Henderson and nose to tail eating was very like in vogue and it's what everybody was really focused on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I also, <laughs> I also was focused on that. Uh, for those of you who can't see, Zuma just dropped a bone. Uh, she just <laughs> wants to be a part of this in any way she can. She's, she's, uh, she's going to make it. She's yeah, going to make the cut. Yeah, she's like, what? Pretty soon she'll just start howl barking at like a deer or something. Um but yeah, so I, I was very focused on meat when I first started cooking, and then we started farming vegetables. And uh, I found that I, you know, if we're going to write a menu based on what we're growing, that means it's going to have a lot more vegetables in it than I was n- normally cooking with. And then the craziest thing happened, which is that uh, we were also extremely broke because we started this farm, which is not a high-margin industry. <laughs> right. And so I, I was we were eating what we were growing mostly and I was eating more vegetables than I ever had. And then I went back to Chicago and was working at a pie shop for Thanksgiving and was eating a ton of pie and drinking a ton of coffee. It was like salamis and cheeses (laughs) and just like suddenly felt bad. And so had like a, you know, I went to the store and got a bunch of carrots and kale and things like that. And I just felt so good. And I realized that my body had changed and yeah. I just wanted to eat more vegetables. And then started to find, um, after that realization, started to find the, um, you know, there's so much more in common between a steak and a pork chop and a chicken breast than there is between a stalk of asparagus, a tomato, and a winter squash. Like, mm. you know, but that's vegetables. Right, you know? all vegetable, right. vegetable, yeah. And, and so it's like when people say like vegetable forward eating, it's like, yeah, but there's so much diversity in mm-hmm. that one class. And right. so, uh, yeah, I, I started just really diving into that. And it's what I knew the most of. And I think the best advice I got about writing was write what you know and write the way that you speak. And mm-hmm. so um, that's what I did. And I... That's kind of where it went. And then, you know, thankfully, I think we are having more conversations about plant-based diets and the sort of uh, climate impact of of meat and dairy. Um, I still eat meat. I still eat dairy. But I do think that I feel better. I think I'm healthier. And I think our planet is healthier and our agricultural system is healthier when we eat more vegetable-based diet. That's great. And and, and, and it was so well-received. Top cookbook for 2019 in the New Yorker and New York Times and a hundred other places that I don't actually you know know the ins and outs of, but I know the New Yorker and I know the New York yeah, Times. Right? Which isn't it's just so funny, like what an honor. You yeah, know what I for mean? Sure. And and That's as awesome. someone who I think that there is I felt this way at Michigan sometimes too, where um that was the first time I realized that I the sort of coastal Yes. I mindset, yeah, I guess is yeah, the way to put it. Yeah. And I remember someone at Michigan being like, Ugh, there's no culture here. This is why we're like a flyover part of the country. And it's like, what does that even mean? <laughs> um, and so, but I think I realized that that was, that's a real thing that, you know, there aren't that many Midwestern food writers right. um, or people who aren't based in New York, uh, San Francisco or LA. Uh, and so I didn't really expect anyone to care about this book because vegetables in my mind have already been, you know, kind of, people have have gone through i mean there's 
Josh McFadden and uh, Mark Anthony from Gramercy Tavern have all written these beautiful vegetable books. So I was like, oh, I'm kind of coming late to the game. Mm-hmm. But it didn't seem like there was anybody from the Midwest and that there were very few books written specifically for home cooks. I think oh, that okay, yeah, that's yeah. sort of the natural um, right. trickle down of, of food world. It starts in restaurants and then makes its way down. And um, so, yeah, that's kind of I just I guess I just didn't expect anyone to really think much of it or to care much about it and so it still feels like such an honor that someone besides like my dad is reading <laughs> it you know and then let alone to have people like Helen Rosner of the New Yorker and Kim Severson of the New York Times and Christina Shea from Bon Appetit yeah, and buddy. David Tamarkin from Epicurious like those are all people who are really pushing the conversation of food and food culture uh, in a not fluffy not cutesy mm-hmm. um, way and I, I'm just internally grateful. I mean, it's I mean, it's an, such an awesome story. I've followed followed along uh, over the years uh, so intently, and and I I love how it's come around, and then I love how it's playing out continuously in your life because you're still you're you're at Greater Farms and still applying the things that you're you're yeah. writing and, and reading to yeah. to what you do. So yeah, it, I feel so fortunate to. Um, have been able to choose this line of work yeah. and that it feels very fulfilling. I was reading something about the percentage of people in the country that feel like just like in general, like unfulfilled by their work. And yeah. I think that there's lots of reasons to have a job and certainly not everybody needs to work at a passion project. And there's right. lots of reasons to not work on a passion <laughs> yeah, project, correct. Uh, including like, uh, you know, salaries and health insurance and things like that. <laughs> yeah, um, real life. Yeah, exactly. And like, and just location, you yeah. know, things like that. But I, I do feel very fortunate that it feels like all of the kind of disparate threads of what I've worked on over the years have now been sort of woven together into sure. something that's like somewhat cohesive. So that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us and taking time. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. And thanks Zuma is going to be a star. <laughs> <laughs> she, I'm surprised she didn't like come through on like a unicycle juggling. <laughs> She's just hilarious. desperate for the limelight. <laughs> thanks so much. Yeah, of course.